Good evening. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. It is always a light to us. We thank you so much for the light we get to walk in. The world walks in darkness. I'm so thankful that we do not have to know how they feel when they walk because we walk in your light. And every day you open up your word to us and expose us to even more light. We thank you for it, for what you will teach us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last time we were together, we were looking at redemption. That we saw from the word of God that we were born in bondage to sin, not born in bondage to the devil. The devil was a defeated foe before the cross ever occurred. The cross does not defeat the devil. It defeats sin and the power of sin over us. We were born into sin and therefore need redemption from it. And the devil's control over us comes from our yielding to and staying under sin. So as long as he can get us to yield to sin, which we've been delivered from, is how he gets that control over us. That's why his tactics are to deceive us into thinking that sin won't hurt us. That we can go ahead and sin a little bit, go ahead and do a little bit over here, it won't hurt us, but by doing so it brings us under the power of sin. There is a verse in the scripture that talks about uh, uh, Jesus saying to the Pharisees that they were of their father the devil. You will note, though, that a father does not have control over the son. The father passes on traits to the sons and the daughters and the offspring. And so the traits of the father are passed on to those that, are, that would be their, their offspring. So by saying that, he says, you take on the traits of your father, the devil. Not that the devil has any control over them. So sin is the controlling force. Sin is what we're delivered from. And we were not bought back from the devil because I don't think that he would want to sell us in the first place. And that if he did, what price would he set? So the price is set by God. It's not set by sin. It's not set by the devil. The price was death. It was established way before. And Adam and Eve were removed from the garden so that they could not eat of the tree of life and live forever because then the, the uh, price could not be paid. So don't let the devil trick you into thinking that you were born under his control or you, that you ever were under his control. You were born under sin and not him. Now we've been reborn and we are under the second Adam and we have been redeemed. So let's pick up here in Ephesians. We're going to go back to verse 3 since this is all one sentence and one thought. We will, well, more than one thought, but one continuing sentence. We just want to get the whole, whole thing here. So, Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him that the dispensation 
of the fullness of time. The dispensation, there are several dispensations that have been defined in the Word. Uh, some have even come out with the, of course, the thing we refer to as dispensationalism that treats God as, as different in each dispensation. God doesn't change. But there are the ways that he deals with man have changed, and that is the idea of the dispensation. But this part here, that in the dispensation, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, if we take the categories that most people have uh, looked at, there are about ten different dispensations in the Word. Ten different periods of, of time. The law would be one. Grace or the church would be be one. Of these, you will notice that this is talking about a specific one because it uses the article. That in the dispensation, so that one it tells us that we're talking about one particular dispensation, not all of them together. We're looking at one in particular of the fullness of times. What is the dispensation that comes as the result of the fullness of the times? That dispensation would be the millennial reign. That would be the, the ending of it. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So in that dispensation, everything will be gathered together. So in this, everyone will be in him. There will not be any Jew or Greek. Races will be out. I was listening to uh, even Brother Keith uh, this week one of the things he got onto, and uh, I've heard him teach this before, and just kind of renewed me on, on it, that the whole idea of race in, the, in our thinking comes as a result of evolution. It has, has nothing to do with God, and since evolution is anti-God, anything along those lines is, is that way. They try and teach that different races are over or under others, and that's wrong. That is, that's not biblical, that's not correct, and that's uh, not anything that we should be bringing into our, our thinking. Evil men such as Hitler had that thinking that certain races were inferior, and his idea was to eliminate certain races. And so that's what he went, uh, went out to do. He was not the only one. There were other ones who also uh, took on that. I could mention names of them, but that would just be distracting. <laughs> we don't need to get into, into all those sort of things, but... In this one, regardless of what a person's race, origin, what uh, color of their skin, how they, or what language they talk, none of that is going to matter because in this dispensation, fullness of times, he will gather together in one all things in Christ. This is what is uh, being attempted in the, in the church as well. It's not going to be accomplished as much in the church as it will be in the final dispensation that will be coming. So he might gather together in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Right now, that which is in heaven is in heaven. That which is on earth is on earth. But during the millennial reign, what is in heaven will come to earth, and what is on earth will be, be here as well. So we're bringing all those things together. This is how we know what dispensation he's, he's referring to. So this word is singular, dispensation. It refers to the final one, the millennial reign. So right now, there are two kingdoms on the earth. In the final dispensation, there will be one. We have to make sure that we stay of the, the right kingdom. The enemy is always trying to get us of the kingdom of darkness. We want to stay of the kingdom of light.
So, we're going to gather together in one right now. Heaven is under God. The realm of heaven is under God. The earth is under Satan and Jesus. If you put yourself under the kingdom of, of darkness, if you put yourself under sin, then you are of, of him because he is the father of, the, of sin. If you put yourself under Jesus and, re, and accept the redemption, then you're, you're of that kingdom. So there's two kingdoms here on the earth, that which is darkness and that which is light. So soon one will be destroyed and the other established forever. So what kingdom is a person in? Just look at whose will do you perform. Do you perform the will of God? Or do you perform the will of darkness? Do you perform sin? Or do you perform light and righteousness? These are the things that we need to look at. And these will, will tell us what kingdom that we're of. It's not the words of our mouth. People can say, well, I'm of God. But then do the works of, of sin. This is not just unique to our time. Jesus ran into this and with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We saw how Jesus dealt with them. We saw how John the Baptist dealt with them. We saw how the disciples dealt with them during the book of Acts. That they were people who were of darkness saying they were of light, but they performed works of darkness. And so Jesus said, by your works you'll be known. By the things that you do, this is how we can, we can determine what you are of. Paul would teach this. Peter would teach this. So, whose will do you perform? Verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We do not work to become an heir. We are born into it. You must be born into heirship. Remember that whole discussion that Abraham had with, with uh, God, with Jesus. One that is not, my, that not born of my house is my heir. And he was told, no. Not, you, you own, the one who's going to be your heir is one born of your house. That was important to set that precedent because this is the precedent in the kingdom that Abraham was the uh, forerunner for in faith. And so... He cannot have his be not one who is born in the house. It need to be one who, is, who came through and was born in the house. Not one that they would have just bring in, well, okay, you're next to kin, you're the nearest kin, we'll put, let this blessing come upon you. Nope, that wasn't going to be it. One born in your house. And of course, they thought, well, we'll just get Ishmael, he'll do it. And God said, no, <laughs> that's not how it's going to work either. So we work to become mature so as to become able to use the inheritance but not earn it. The works that we do to bring us to that place of sun placing, the works that we do to bring that maturity in us, this is what gets us to the point where we can use the inheritance. We get put into that place as the Bible called it, that sun placing, <clears throat> that sun positioning, taking one who is an heir and making him able to to um, access all that his inheritance is. As he's a child, he can't access it. So there is some work that we do. We call it sanctification or renewing of your mind. These are the things that we do. There's, there's work that's involved with that. That doesn't just happen. We have to do some things to, to make that go on. So we, but we don't work to become an heir. We're born into it. 
Don't ever lose sight of that. We are born into the heirship that we have. Inheritance is based on family ties, not our efforts. Now, he says, predestined according to the purpose of him. Now, what's interesting here is that we have three different words that are used, basically meaning the will of God in this, in this verse. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him. There's our first one, purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel. There's our second one, of his will. There's our third Three different words are used here. The first one, purpose. One he says here, being predestined according to the purpose. This is the Greek word prosthesis, which means a setting forth of a thing, placing of it in view. It is also the word that is used to describe the showbread. When you hear, every time this word is used in the Gospels, it is referring to the showbread and it is translated as such. I believe three different Gospels, if I remember correctly, talked about the showbread and used this word. If you go back to the Septuagint, which is, of course, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, go back to the Septuagint, they use this word to describe the showbread that was used in the temple. Now, the showbread is just the bread that was on display. They would change it out on a regular basis. The new bread, of course, David came in. He was going to eat the old bread because they didn't have any food. And Jesus used that as, as an example. But this word is actually used of the showbread. They call the showbread by this name. Because it is a setting forth of a thing, they place it in view. The showbread is in view. <clears throat> in Matthew 12, 4, that's one of the references there that shows the, the showbread, if you want to look that up later on. Romans 8, 28, we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Most people have that one memorized. We know what that one is. 2 Timothy 1.9, this is another place where it's used. I believe, if I didn't write this down, but I think this, is, this word is used about a dozen times in Scripture. And, and in this particular form, I think this is the noun form. There's also the verb and adjective form as well. But in 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. His own purpose. Here's where that is used. Now, when it talks about this and uses this word for his will or his purpose, that purpose, you can see where the will of God is involved here. This is the setting forth of a thing. It places it in view. God is not hiding his, his uh, will here. He's not hiding his purpose. His purpose is in view. So when you see this, this, in this, uh, this word used here, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, according to the purpose of him. The purpose of this is this is in full view. People can see this. We don't have to wonder what the purpose is. Sometimes we're given something. We you know over at work they tell us you got to do things this way now, but we don't know the purpose. I don't know why. A lot of times if I just knew why, it would help me to uh, to go ahead and do that. But I don't know why. And so I think this is stupid. Why am I doing this? This doesn't seem to accomplish anything. But if the employer, the boss, or whoever it is that makes the rule begins to tell you why, that, that helps us. When we're little and we get told, don't cross the street but at a certain age, why can't I cross the street? I want to know what the purpose of this is. Are you just trying to keep me from going places? No, no, no. We don't want you to, uh, to get run over by a car. That's our purpose behind this. Uh, if we just let people know what the purpose is. 
it sometimes can help out. So Jesus lets us know that purpose is out here in front. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So there's our second word, and this would be counsel. This, this word means objective, advice, or by, in, by implication, purpose, counsel, or will. <clears throat> Most of the time you're going to see this. This is translated counsel in there. Uh, I believe there's one time in the New Testament this is translated advice. In, the, in normal Greek, it's used that way a lot more. But I believe only one time was it translated advice. But it's the same type of, a, type of, type, type of thing, counsel or advice. So this is talking about, just as it's translated here, the counsel or the advice of God. When we sit down and we ask for someone's counsel and a thing, we're asking them, bring me in on, the, on a better understanding of the purpose. If I'm going to go out and get financial counseling, then what I want is tell me how I can be purposeful in getting my money to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. I'm getting financial counseling by somebody who has a broader perspective, a better understanding, and my purpose is I want my money to do, and we lay out what our purpose is, and then that person gives us counsel and advice on what we can do knowing the market conditions, knowing the things that are available, and they tell us, okay, this is what you want to accomplish. This is what's going on out here. I don't know what's going on out there. The person I'm coming to for advice does, and they give me counsel. They give me advice. It's still up to me to decide to do it, to, to decide I'm going to trust you in what you're, you're telling me. And there's other areas that you can find this as well. But we, we find the counsel or the advice. It's an objective it's, by implication, purpose. You're letting me know how I can accomplish the thing based upon the environment that we're in. Because obviously the environment I'm in is a little over my head. I don't know how to accomplish this. I don't know how to do this. If you want to do something in real estate, you would get somebody who's more familiar with the real estate industry and can give you counsel. Is this a good time to buy? Is this a good time to sell? What should I sell my home for? I don't know, but a person who's in the industry, they begin to see my wife do this all the time. She'll sit, sit, sit down there and she breaks down all the homes in the, in the area and she uh, comes on in with a whole plan. And she says, all right, these are the homes. This is what they sold for. This is what we could probably sell yours for. <clears throat> we bring people in to get that kind of advice. This is what he's telling us here. So let's read this together. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So he works all things according to the counsel, according to the advice, according to the, the, the overall will and purpose that he has here, according to the counsel of his will. That final word here for will, <clears throat> oh, I, I left out some things here. I wanted to expand this for you. The word counsel in your English New Testament is generally coming from one of two words. When you see the word counsel, there's one of two words that is being used here. <clears throat> two main words that are here. This word that we see, and also the Greek word nome. Nome. Nome is the result. I, I, I put it to you this way. Bole is the result of determination. Nome is the result of knowledge. 
So what we see here is the word that is used in this particular thing, it is used that I have determined that this is what we need to do. I have determined that this is the direction we, are, we ought to go. The second word is one that is talking about uh, based upon knowledge, and it comes from the Greek word gnosko, which we know of as, as knowledge. We're very familiar with that one. That is knowledge that you gain by experience. So it's knowledge that comes along the way, not oida, absolute knowledge, but gnosko, it comes from that particular word. So these two main words for counsel, nome and bole, is the result of determination. One, I'm sorry, the, uh, bole is the result of determination. This will of mine is because of determination. Have you ever had something that you wanted to do and you have nothing more that I am determined to get this done? I am going to get this done. And you, you get through everything that you can, no matter what the obstacle is, I will get this done. And you, you continue to go out there and you find a way, you find a way, you find a way. Christmas season, if you had somebody special and you were trying to find a particular thing for, this is especially good for kids. Kids had come up with a certain toy that they want or a certain present that they want. And, of course, it's the end thing. And so you are determined to get it. They made a movie about that. Who's that, uh, that one? Jingle, jingle, jingle All the Way? Jingle All the Way, something like that. Uh, who's the big uh, Arnold? Was it Arnold Schwarzenegger was in that one? Yeah, I think it was in... And I don't know who the other guy was. <laughs> but anyway, the two guys are battling it out because they are determined to get this gift. For, they're not based, it's not based on any kind of knowledge. I want that gift. There it is. I will get it. And so this is what this word is talking about. It's talking about a will and a purpose based on determination. And so when they use this particular word, it is talking about that God has a will and purpose and a determination to get this thing done. He is determined we will accomplish this. Regardless of what it is that comes up against it, we will get this accomplished. So we look at all the stupid things that man has done to stop the plans of God. And so there you see that, that God has this determination. All right, you want to sin and block me there? I'll get on over this way. You want to sin and block it there? I'll come on back over this way. And so we find these ways to, to accomplish this we will get it done. I was just uh, watching uh, uh, one of those highlight reels. Uh, I don't watch much football anymore, but I still like to go back and watch when football was, was, a, was a game I enjoyed. And there was a particular runner, and no matter what happens, when this runner's highlight film comes up, I pretty much stop what I'm doing and just watch. Barry Sanders. Oh, Barry Sanders, is, he just was a gem to watch, and he never had any really good teams. Had some decent teams, but... He just was, he was just the model for me of determination. I am going that direction. And I don't care how many of you guys want to try and stop me, I will make you all look foolish. <laughs> he did. He made them look foolish. And it was just, most of the time, sheer determination because he didn't always have the best blockers. He didn't always have the best coaches. They didn't always have the best game plan. But no matter what, you could throw 12 guys at him and he still finds a way to get through. I just, it's just, so much fun to watch him run. I was so disappointed when he retired. I didn't care a thing about the Detroit Lions, but <laughs> I, just, I just love watching Barry run. Boy, he was good. And I'm told uh, from the people who were, who were in it, I remember uh, one of the things I was watching, John Madden was, uh, love John Madden. Oh, he's one of my favorite announcers. He is my favorite announcer. And he was going to say, we probably have never seen anybody run like this 
except Jim Brown. But I never saw Jim Brown run, so I, did, I wasn't around watching football. I think I probably had seen some highlights and, and things like that come on through, but oh, Barry was just fun. And I know there's been some other ones in there, too, that are, I mean, Emmett Smith was a real good one, even though he was a cowboy, he was still... Uh, he had some, some great talent. Gail Sayers, you know, there's some, some great guys. And these are just people that were determined. I'm going to get this here. And that's what this is talking about. This is talking about a will that is determined. And understand, when God has a will, it's not just based on knowledge. It's not just based on this is how, we're, how we can accomplish this and be real smart and get it. No, he is determined. He is going to get this done for us. And so when it says this, I still got one other word I want to show you on this, but in him also we have attained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The counsel of his will. When he is counseling, when he is advising, he is saying, we are going to get this done. I don't care what comes up against us. I don't care what people do. I don't care what the devil does. We will get this done. And no matter what things would come against him, he would just, uh, he would find something else in there. Now, one more word I wanted to show you. There's another thing that, that it comes, that determination can come from in the Greek. There is a, there is a Greek word, thelo, which is a decision out of emotion. That word was not used here. God did not make this decision out of emotion. He made this decision, he made this determination out of I'm sorry, he made this counsel, he made this purpose, he made this will out of determination, not out of emotion. That's a, that's a big thing. Some people have gotten emotion, and you know, as long as that emotion is running high, you're moving for that thing. But that's not describing what God has done here. In, uh, let me see where we were. In Luke chapter 7, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. They rejected, and this, this word here for will is used, they rejected the determined will of God. They rejected it. They saw it and they said, nope, we don't want it. And so we're not going to be baptized in this, in this way. And I believe that was for John's baptism. Acts 2.23, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Him being delivered by the determined purpose. Now there it actually put the word determined in there. And I, I like the way that they, they had translated that and actually put that in there. God had a determined purpose that this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to go to the cross. And the word of God even tells us if the devil had known what would happen when they delivered him to the cross, he wouldn't have done it. But God says, we are going to get this done. <laughs> and, and the devil was thinking that he could win, but he didn't. Acts 4.28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And that's another place that you can see that that is being used. In Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for God to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. But it says here, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. We see there in Romans 8.28, we're using the word prosthesis, which is a setting forth of a thing, placing it in view. So understand this one. 
And we know that all things work together for God to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. They are the called according to His purpose. So when He puts this purpose out, it's something that's on display. Those who are the called according to His purpose. They are the called according to... This is the purpose that... I want everybody to see this. I'm not hiding this from anybody. This is not a mystery. Let me get over that third word here, third will here for you. And that is our third, that is our last one that we used in verse 11. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. His will here is Thelma, a determination, choice, inclination, desire, pleasure, or will. This is something I desire. This is something I want to do. There are sometimes we have desire to do something because I want to, because I like it. And there is no other reason. Have you ever had a purpose to do something? And it maybe didn't necessarily look like it would do a whole lot of good for you, but you just want it. Maybe you just had Thanksgiving dinner, and you set out for dinner, and with the mindset, I am determined, and I have my purpose, that at the end of dinner, I will have a piece of pumpkin pie. <laughs> or whatever dessert that you like. You have to, and, and I'm going to make sure that I have room for whatever dessert that I want to have. This is what I'm going to do. And so you set out for the purpose in this meal that you were going to have this particular thing. Sometimes I've gone over to the Cheesecake Factory. And, you know, sometimes the Cheesecake Factory can give you a lot of food. We don't go there all that often, but um, when we do go there, the main purpose of going to the Cheesecake Factory is... It's cheesecake. I mean, that is the, that's the name of the restaurant. This is what you, what you go there for. And they do have good cheesecake. I do, do say that. They have good cheesecake. And so there's a lot of times that I would go to the Cheesecake Factory over the years, and after I would eat, I'm full. And I would have liked to have had a piece of cheesecake, but I'm full. And so I reject the cheesecake at the end of the meal because I'm full. And so after a while of doing that, I finally decided, you know what? I am going to determine, because I, have, I enjoy their cheesecake, that I am going to get a lesser meal. And so I would find a lesser meal. I'd just get a burger instead of one of the other things that they would have and, and do that. And so I would save room for the, the cheesecake. And, of course, you all know what kind of cheesecake I buy. Plain. Uh, don't, don't mess with the fruit on top. Don't put candy bars on the inside. Don't mess with chocolate. Don't give me pumpkin flavors. Don't give me other, any of that other junk that you want to try and do. took me a little while to decide to finally find out I enjoy cheesecake better when there's no other flavor. I just want to enjoy the cheesecake. I am alone on that, I understand. Most people, <laughs> most people like some of the, the other, and I did give it a try. But I just, it's just not as, as good. But you have that determination just because you want to. And so when he uses this word here, Thelma, it's a determination or a choice. It's an inclination. It's a desire because of pleasure or will. I want to go this way just because I want to. Just because this is what I decided I want to do. We may say to God, God, why did you pick man? Why did you put all this time into man? Why did you go through all that redemption process? Why was your purpose to use man in this way when we have shown you time and time again that we are failures in accomplishing what it is that you want to do? 
And the simple, simple thing is what this word is, because I want to. There's, there's no other purpose. I just, I want to. And just like we would sit down at the meal and wait at the end, this is what I'm going to have for dessert. And you're, you make sure that I'm going to have room, I'm going to have the, the space. He said way, on the be, way at the beginning, I don't care what it is I have to go through. I don't care what man does. I don't care what the devil throws at me. I want this. And I will make sure that it accomplishes. And so we have these three different words for will used in this one verse. And it really brings out the light to understand what it is. So who works all things according to the counsel of his, his will is what it says here. He works all things, all things. Now, he does not bring the things. It does not say he brings the things. It says he works the things. So that tells us that the things come from other sources. Maybe some of the things can come from him. Some of those things are going to come from people. They make their flesh decisions. And some of those things are going to come from the kingdom of darkness, the devil. They're just things. It says that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. So no matter what things happen, he will work it to the counsel of his will. Now, things can be all sorts of stuff. Those are things. A car can be a thing. An event can be a thing. A day can be a thing. What people do can be a thing. What people think can be a thing. Things can be anything. It's a thing. There was that uh, author writes about thing one, thing two. They're a thing. It can be anything. So the key word here is things. This is our key word. And understand, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works all things. Now, there's sometimes the misunderstanding of the authority that we have been given. It, it just always seems like the areas where we've been given the authority, we muddy up so we don't take all the authority we have. And the area we haven't been given authority gets muddied up, so we begin to take, take things and take authority that we never were given. So, we have the authority of Jesus Christ, right? So whatever authority Jesus Christ gained is authority that we have. If Jesus Christ didn't gain it, then he didn't give it to me because he didn't have it to give. If Jesus Christ gained it, then he has it and he can give it to me. But you cannot give what you do not have. So when he came, he came to deliver us from sin. So he gave us authority over sin. He gained authority over demon spirits. He gave them that before they were even on the cross because the devil was defeated before the cross. So he gave the disciples the ability to cast out demon spirits before he ever went to the cross. The cross didn't get that victory. That victory was already there. So he already had that victory. He already had that authority. People would say as he was ministering that he cast out spirits with authority. He taught with authority. We haven't seen anybody do this with authority. Well, he had that authority coming in. And then at the cross, he gained more. And he passes that on. There's one authority, though, that he did not gain at the cross and did not possess before. But yet people still, still think we can walk in it. And that's the authority over human spirits. We have authority over evil spirits. 
we do not have authority over human spirits. If God does not have authority over human spirits, we don't have authority over human spirits. If God can't make someone get born again, I can't make someone get born again. If God can't make someone not sin, I can't pray and make someone not sin. I can't take authority over that. That person has that free freedom to do that there. I, we, we had this discussion before, but I get, I get so aggravated with Christians who think, well, if somebody is in office, well, God must have put them there. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if God can't make you not sin, he didn't make you pull the lever. <laughs> he, he didn't do it. He doesn't make people pull the lever. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people pull the lever for somebody that God didn't want. And the, the people, people of Israel picked the king. I don't want that one to be king. We want him. All right. <laughs> so, don't, don't take that. Don't, don't go out there taking authority you haven't been given. You can't take authority and get people saved. What you can do, and there's a, there's a teaching in Scripture, and this Brother Hagin used to teach us on this because God taught him how to do it. He said if you want to take authority, if you want to, if you want to step into a, a, a prayer realm, for people that are unsaved, then first off, what you can do, there's two things you can do. First, you can take authority over darkness that has blinded their eyes. Well, see, that's not taking authority over their human spirit. That's taking authority over darkness, which you have authority over. Because darkness has blinded their eyes so that they cannot see the light. That's how Paul described it. So you take authority over that. The second thing is, Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest, send laborers out into the field. Well, the laborers would be people that are submitted to him. And so when he would say go, they would listen and they would go. And that also ties in with Romans, where Paul was teaching, how can they hear without a preacher? How can they go without, unless they be sent? So forth. So, so they would be sent and they would go. So those are two areas that you can pray. If you have somebody who is unsaved, then you take authority over darkness in their life so that they can see the light and understand the way I'm going is death. They may still choose to do it. I don't know why, but they may still choose to do it. Then you may not be, as a relative, you may not be the best person to witness to them. But God can send other people. Father God, I pray that you send laborers into the field of, uh, and you just name their person there, that, that God would send them. And God will raise people up. Hey, will you go over here and witness to this person over here? Or they just may be in the grocery store, and God may move on one of his servants is there. Go talk to them. Because you prayed, you gave them that opportunity, and so you can do that. But you cannot take authority over them and say, in the name of Jesus, they shall be saved. (laughs) That's not authority we've been given. That's authority a lot of Christians take, but it's not authority we've been given. If Jesus can't do it, I can't do it. So we always have to keep that in mind. But in verse... 828, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So once again, we see this word show up, things. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So once again, the key word here is things in both of these verses. He works things. He works events and such. He doesn't change people. He can use people if people will submit to him. And that's where the the set ones come. When Paul submitted, he could be used by God. 
when Paul wasn't submitted, he wasn't used by God. Now, it was the council of God, the council of God for Israel was to be one kingdom. When he set it up, he, was, he always set it up that Israel would be one kingdom under, under God as king. They decided, we don't like that. We want a human king. And so, God will give them what they want. And so, Saul was picked, and of course, he was rejected because of the things that he did, but he was picked. So, if Saul was picked, is it not the predestined will of God for Saul to be David first? The David that would come. We know that David came out. But wouldn't, wouldn't it be Saul? But Saul decided not to follow after God the way that he would. And so God even said, I would have made your kingdom an enduring kingdom. Now it's not going to last. Another's been sought. And so that after his disobedience, then God went out and sought after David. But what we had was a predestined will of God for Saul to go in a certain direction. Saul decided not to go that direction because what God predestined is not forced upon anyone. This is the way to go. This is the best way to go. And Saul said, I don't want to go that way. I want to go my way. And so then David was sought. And so as David was picked and the anointing came down upon him and he did certain things, we know he wasn't perfect, but God said, all right, David, I'm going to make of your house an enduring kingdom. And Messiah basically was prophesied to come after or in the line of David. But then Solomon happened. And then when Solomon came along, he brought all that idolatry in. The, the preordained will of God is for David's household to be king and for them to have a king all the way up until Messiah. And Solomon came and brought all that idolatry in. And so another will was etched out because of what man did because Solomon didn't follow he didn't follow in the path of David he went after other gods and so Jeroboam is raised up and God has a ordained plan preordained plan for him to follow and so Jeroboam is going along this way following the plan until he becomes king when he becomes king he says oh they're going to leave me and kill me, wipe out my household and go back to David. So this is what we need to do. And so then he left the plan that God had laid out. And so God comes to him. I would have made of you an enduring house, but now <laughs> your house is not going to last. It's going to be over. And so then another plan was made. So the other, God preordains, God, God predestines these things to go on, but then people's disobedience caused it to have to go a different direction and go a different way because of how they were uh, how they responded so he worked all things to bring these things back around to bring the people back back on around so these are the things that he can do god can change events but he doesn't change the hearts of people he won't force that upon them now he can do like he did with pharaoh make enough events happen that you decide to do what he wants. <laughs> but it's still something that you have to decide to do. Verse uh, 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Let's read this whole thing first. 
In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who in the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, you, know, you all know I love Greek, enjoy Greek, but I don't know as much Greek as many, many other scholars that are out there. There are people who know Greek way better than I do. And they tell me in the, the uh, nuances of the Greek language here, that when it says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, that the way the Greek is, is, is uh, written up here, the part here of hearing comes before the part of trusting and believing. So it's actually this way, and that word there for trusted also means to hope in advance of other confirmation. So it's a trust, but it's a hope. You could actually put hope in there and, and have that translation. I didn't go out there and look and see if other translation that put that in there, but you could put hope in there as well. But both aspects of the word are there, hope and trust. That we who first hoped or first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So there was a hearing of the word of truth. And we all know this, you have to hear it first. When we hear the word of truth, I then reject it or accept it. Once, If I accept it, then I can believe it and trust in it. If I reject it, I won't believe it, and I won't receive whatever thing has come from it. So, he says, those who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, having believed, the believing was past tense. Now there's still more things that they were going to be, come to hear and believe, but we're talking about this aspect of it here now. They had already heard this. They had already trusted it. They already believed it. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit here is the seal. is also called the guarantee of our inheritance. Now you all know what a guarantee is. A guarantee is a down payment that you will come back and you will get it. And you will accomplish this thing. That you will do what is, is necessary to be, to be done. Uh, you can do the, the example of a house. If you are going to write up an agreement for a house, there is the, the realtor will ask you, because it's not set in stone what it needs to be, how much of a guarantee do you want to put down? And so if the house is, say, $150,000, you may put 10% down. 10% of that would be $15,000. Maybe you put 5% down. But it, it's open-ended. You can put whatever amount of money that you put down there, but you are in risk of losing whatever it is you put down if you walk away from the deal. So if you put down 15000 and for some reason you walk away from the deal, there's no guarantee that you're going to get that $15,000 back. Maybe in the, that they're good and gracious enough, maybe they decide to, but they don't necessarily have to. It's sometimes in the agreement that, that, that is there, but they can... Uh, if, if they don't like how things went or if something was a breach in contract or they feel that it was a breach in contract, they may keep your guarantee. So the amount of money that you put as guarantee is, um, 
is, is very much um, telling, you how, telling them how serious you are. So if you're going to do a $150,000 house and they'll say, how much of a guarantee do you want to put down? Then you say 50 bucks. <laughs> well, no, you'd walk away from that. <laughs> no, they're not going to take that in. But if, you have, if they have four offers and one person put $10,000 down, one person put $20,000 down, another person put $50,000 down, another person put $75,000 down, who's more serious? And so all these things come into play because they don't have to take one deal over another. They take the deal that they like. Whatever it is, they, they, maybe they like to, um, uh, we don't have to move out right away. Uh, we don't have to be out within a month. We can take our time. Uh, or maybe they're ready to move out right away and these people can move in right away. So all these things are, are factors, uh, whether you want to do inspections or not. Whether, um, uh, uh, just, just all sorts of stuff. So you may, may put these things in. I just heard a story that um, uh, Brother Keith was telling. And uh, I don't know if anybody hear the story of, of uh, uh, Phyllis's new car. Uh, Phyllis got a, a new car. And apparently it's, it's quite a car because Jesse was impressed. <laughs> she picked up Jesse there driving. And I don't think anybody else drove this car. I think she just drives this car. And um, it is a, uh, it's not one of, it wouldn't be my favorite car. It's not a, a make. It's uh, uh, Daryl knows cars better than I, I do. Um, what, is, what is the make of that car that uh, begins with a B? Real high end. Um, Bentley. Yeah, it's a Bentley. I think all Bentleys are ugly. I have not met a Bentley yet that I like. Now, there may be some Bentleys out there that are nice looking and are good, but all the ones I have seen, I've, I've seen them, I said, I would, I would reject that car. I just don't like them. I'd rather have my truck out there than one of them suckers. But she got this Bentley, and, and they said the name a couple of times. I do not know. I just know it was a convertible and that it's got a real good engine in it and that it sells for full price um, $300,000. You know which one I'm talking about? Oh, I it's a, it's a $300,000 car. I don't know if that has all the bells and whistles or not, but um, <laughs> but anyways, they were talking about this this car, and so um, um, they wanted they put it on their faith list, and they were going to believe God for it. And so, one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, they said he just said their faith wasn't there yet for for this thing. Um, I think they were on year ten. They were waiting on this thing, and and she came to him. Because uh, God had told him to sew one of his, his cars into some, some minister or some person. And so he did that. She was looking for him. Hey, honey, don't you want to look for another one of those sports cars? Well, I guess we can. So she was looking online, didn't find anything worthwhile. And then she just thought, I'm not going go to go visit the Bentley thing. And so she went and looked up a Bentley. And um, she called it up. And apparently it was a fairly new one, pretty good condition. It was a color that she liked, which I later found out was white. I thought, I'm so disappointed. How do you... No, <laughs> you may accept a white car, but you, you don't. But anyway, she's out there. She's uh, uh, she liked the the color of it, it was white, and so she's um, uh, believing believing God for the. But she she's looking at the at this this uh, this deal that came up, and she brings it over to to Keith, and she shows it to him. And said, "Could this price be right?" And he looked at it and says, "Nope, nope." And said, and so she left. Yeah, I didn't think so either. So she left, and she came back on in after a while. She said, and she said, would you call them? <laughs> and so, uh, so Keith called them up, and he said, is that price right? Yep, that price is right. And apparently, it was a Bentley that was at a Ford truck uh, dealership, and they don't deal too much with that particular type of car. 
So I guess, you know, they don't have that, the, the clientele to come in for that. Somehow they got hold of it. And, and so, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the right price. And it's in this condition? Yeah, it's in that condition. And he sent them some more pictures, and I saw all the pictures, and it was beautiful. And so uh, they decided, you know, we're going to go ahead and, and do this. And so he called them up, and they were making arrangements to get on out there, and they went on down to the bank, and they got cash money out to, uh, to do this. And so he, uh, he called them up. He says, now, we're going to come on down, and, and if that car is, is like you said it is, we're going to buy it. And he said, well, I'm sorry, but it's already sold. Oh, he said, I've got to go tell Phyllis now their car's sold. <laughs> and so uh, he says, well, it's, how sold is it? <laughs> and he says, well, it's, um, it's sold to a guy out in California who's, going to, who's just working on getting the financing for it, and then he's going to come on out here and, and, uh, and pick it up. So it's still there. Uh, yep, it's, it's still here. But I have three other people after them that if they don't come through, that they would, they would want it. I see. Um, uh, did, did he put any money down on it? Uh, no, he hasn't put any money down on it. And so, so it's not really sold. And he, he's, trying to, he's trying to go, well, he's not trying to take somebody. If, if, you made, if you sold the car, if it's a done deal, then I don't want to steal somebody's car. But if it's not sold, he says, well, no, we actually don't have any money on it. We have no contract signed, so it is not sold. I said, well, we have money in hand, and we would pay cash money if this car is what we say, no financing. And, um, and I said, I'll give you a credit card, and you can have some money now. And so he, he said, come on down. <laughs> now, they were about four states away, I think is what he said. Or, or, uh, they were not in the state that they were in. But uh, they got on down there, and they, the car was exactly as they said. And so they ended up, he even told the price. He said, he said we got a over $300,000 automobile for uh, under $50,000. I mean, that's, that's a deal. But you see, what, what, what showed the man that he was serious was the guarantee that he put on there. Up till, up till then, he didn't have any guarantee from anybody. He had four people who wanted to buy it, but nobody put the guarantee up. We'll give you a credit card now, and the money's yours. And then we'll come on down. So it's the guarantee. What he says here, that the Holy Spirit that was given to us, the Holy Spirit was poured out when? On the day of Pentecost. It was different than what was here before. The Holy Spirit was here on the earth before, but what was poured out then was different. And that was poured out until Jesus Christ would come back. That he's saying, I'm, I'm going to come back. That is the guarantee. The Holy Spirit was given to us. He is our guarantee that he's coming back. So when we have the Holy Spirit in our life the way we do now, that is different from what is in the Old Testament, that's our guarantee. That tells us he's coming back because he left his Spirit here. He left the Holy Spirit here. He's coming back for the Holy Spirit. He's not leaving the Holy Spirit. He's coming back for that. He is our guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So, those who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. We trusted in Him. We believed Him. We heard about this redemption. We heard about these things that He was, he was doing. We heard about His will. We heard about what He has predestined us. We trusted Him. There's a trust that the way he's mapped out is the best way, is a good way, is going to be beneficial for us. We trust in that. 
The enemy is always trying to get us to question that trust and to not believe that God doesn't have your best interest. Why would God send you this? Why would God tell you to sell that? Why would God tell you to give that up? No, you listen to what God says because we trust Him. And it's all to the praise of His, His glory. So we are sealed, as He says here. This means we are sealed for Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ, He is coming back. We are the, the seal, the guarantee of Jesus Christ. Now, all things with God point to four things in here. All things with God point to a time, a purpose, a plan, and an end. Everything with God points to a time, a purpose, a plan, and an end. He has a time for when Jesus Christ will return. He had a time for when Jesus Christ would come to the cross. He had a time for when the Holy Spirit would be poured out. He had a time for when the Deliverer would come for Israel. He had a time for all these things. There's, there's a time for Him. The enemy is always trying to get us to question His time. Shouldn't God have moved sooner? Shouldn't this have happened sooner? He's going to try and get us to question the time. But all things with God point to a time. There's a time set. I don't have to be, be doubtful. Well, how come God hasn't come, sent Jesus Christ yet? How come the rapture hasn't happened yet? Nope, there's a time. Because there's a purpose. There's a time and there's a purpose. Whatever it is that he's doing, there is a purpose behind it. God does not do anything without purpose. He doesn't just aimlessly go about. Hey, you know, I just thought I threw that in there. God, why'd you do that? I don't know. I just kind of felt like it. That time. No, everything he does, he's got a purpose for. Amen. He's got a purpose for why he put this gift in this person and this gift in that person. He's got a purpose for why he has you born in this time and not in a different time. He's, all these things are in his, his uh, care. He has mapped this out before the foundation of the world. This whole sentence was talking about before the foundation of the world, all this stuff was mapped out. You are here for a time. You are here for a purpose. You are here with a plan. And there is an end in mind. He's got the end of the age in mind. He's got the end of the dispensations in mind. He's got the end of the millennial in mind. He's got the end of the tribulation in mind. He's got the end of the church age in mind. He's got the end of all these things in mind. He knows when it will come to an end. He sees the end. He sees the beginning. He's got a purpose and he has a plan. And all we need to do is trust Him. Because all things with God point to a time, a purpose, a plan, and an end. And do understand when the wording that was there, the will and the purpose of God, He's not trying to hide it. It's on display. You can see it, but the enemy wants to try and muddy it up. He wants to try and mix it up. He did that with the disciples. He did that with Paul. He had them going in directions that they were not supposed to go because they got mixed up on the time, the purpose, the plan, and the end. So many times in the disciples' history that we, that we see in the Gospels, they thought the end was on the Sea of Galilee. He said, no, this isn't the end. I didn't say this was the end. I said, let's go to the other side. It needs to be the same with us. But is it? 
Is it the same with us? We need to have a time, a purpose, a plan, and an end. And God will give these things to us. Most of our troubles as Christians stem from not keeping the will, the purpose, and the counsel of God separate from the will, the purpose, and the counsel of men. We mix them up. Churches in history and churches in the present day have erred in this very same area. But once the compromise is made to mix in a little of the world, a little of worldly man's counsel, it will infect all. Jesus was very clear. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. We either actively purpose to find and eradicate all of worldly thinking from us or that thinking will work its way in and corrupt and or push out what light we have. There are many churches in history that we have seen that began to bring a little bit of the worldly counsel in and began to become more acceptable to the society that was around them. And we're seeing the same thing with churches now. We don't need as much of the Word of God. We can teach people more men's philosophy about the Word instead of line by line teaching what the Word of God teaches. I need to know what does the Word of God teach? What does the Word of God lead us to? People are getting very comfortable in churches that are confused about God creating male and female. They're confused about marriage between a man and a wife. They're confused even about what marriage is. They are confused about what immorality is and are allowing all these things to come into the church and mixing in. And do not think that will not have an effect upon the people that are there. This is just Paul's opening statements that are here. But we have to make sure that we eradicate the world's purposes, the world's, world's will, the world's counsel. Get it out of our system. The world will say, well, that was Old Testament. Well, that was the way God used to be. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't be so narrow-minded now. Mm-hmm. You have to be more open-minded about things, about how God would, would work. And no, we don't. We need to stay with what the counsel, the purpose, and the plan of God is. Well, Father, we thank you for your word that shows us what your, what your counsel is, what your word is for us how that lays out for us the will of God, which is plain. It is set out in front of us. We know your purposes. And I thank you that you show us these things. Help us to have that as a priority, to not let the world's worldliness, the world's thoughts, settle in with us. That we eradicate all of that from our thinking so that it does not permeate. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.